Well, let's pray before uh, we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray that now as we come uh, to read your word together and together to uh, understand what your word means and how it applies to us, we pray uh, that you would still our souls and give us more confidence in you, our Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is trustworthy. And we thank you that we can see the work that you have done as we look at Jesus. And as we open Matthew's gospel, we thank you that we can see uh, right there our Lord Jesus Christ who provides rest for our souls. And so help us now to submit under the yoke of your word, the yoke which you have promised us is easy And the burden is light. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, if you turn in the uh, scriptures to Matthew chapter 12, uh, that's page 977 in the church uh, Bibles and 1518 in the large print Bibles. Matthew chapter 12, and this evening we're going to be looking at verses 1 uh, to 14. Well, in the passage last week, uh, Jesus uh, was uh, inviting us to rest. Uh, And in the next passage, uh, which we're looking at tonight, uh, it takes place on the Sabbath. Now, I don't know uh, what your thoughts are uh, on the weekend, how you, uh, whether you work on weekends or whether you have weekends off. I know for some of you, uh, retirement, it means uh, it's a perpetual weekend, which is uh, g- good for you. Uh, but w- when, we, uh, when we rest, uh, we, we often do that on the weekend, don't we? We come to the weekend and we think, great, we get that. Uh, the crunchy advert used to describe the, the Friday feeling. You get to the end of work, we've got two days off. But actually, um, it's only in the last hundred years we've had two days off. And the reason employers began to, to give a two-day weekend was to give an extra day for people to get over their hangover so they were ready to work again on Monday morning. Uh, it's only been in the last 100 years, really, that there's been a, a two-day weekend. Uh, but in the Bible, uh, God's weekend in the, for his Old Testament people uh, was Saturday. It was the, the Sabbath day, the, the weekend. Uh, and on this particular Sabbath day... Uh, that we find in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus and his disciples uh, were going for a a meal uh, in the fields. Rather than a meal, we'll see they were picking the grain. Uh, But it it became anything but a rest for them. Because when we get to verse 14, in this section of Matthew's gospel where we see different responses to Jesus, we see a response which seems anything but restful. Look at, at verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So in this section of responses to Jesus, which is what chapters 11 and 12 is, responding to really what Jesus has been saying and doing in the previous chapters, uh, we come to this weekend after Jesus has offered rest, and we find that the Pharisees want to kill him. What has happened? What can possibly happen where this saviour who invites us to uh, what is a a wonderful 
uh, invitation to rest, what has happened that makes them now, at the end of this uh, passage, want to kill Jesus? Well, we've seen so far in Matthew a, a number of skirmishes between the religious leaders and Jesus. But as we get to chapter 12... It really kicks off. In fact, in, uh, you'll see as, as you, we go through chapter 12, verses 2 and 10 and 24 and 38 are all verses where the Pharisees are challenging Jesus. He really comes under attack from the Pharisees in this chapter. And the reason for this reaction from the Pharisees, the reason that they want to kill him, is because Jesus threatens their whole rule-based religious system. The religious leaders at the time were being told by Jesus that your rules-based, works-based religious system is wrong. And it had two major impacts for the leaders. The first impact was, if your rules-based religion is wrong, it means you have to renounce your self-righteousness. You have to admit that you are wrong and that you need to uh, come under a different authority to your rules. And the second impact that it would have had on the Pharisees was that they would lose control and authority over the Jewish population to whom their rules were imposed on. They had to renounce their self-righteousness and their losing their authority. And so they want to kill Jesus. Now, all this is important background because this takes place on the Sabbath. Jesus has just offered rest for our souls, but Jesus' rest that he offers is very different from the Pharisees' rest. The Pharisees' rest was a rules-based system that was very hard work. They said you can be right with God and you can have rest if you do all of these things, and it was hard work. And ironically, perhaps one of the hardest rules to keep was how to keep the Sabbath day. The day of rest became very hard work. Now, the Sabbath was a very Jewish custom. It wasn't actually shared by other cultures of the day. The Jews often were seen as very lazy people because they had a day off during the week. But like circumcision for the Jews, it was something that made you Jewish. It was an identity thing. The circumcision and keeping the Sabbath were signs of the covenant. That means signs that point towards something God does or has done for his people. Now, back in the Old Testament, Israel were in Egypt as slaves, and God had delivered them from slavery. They were free. And when they were free, God gave them the law, the Ten Commandments, the fourth of which was to keep the Sabbath holy. And the purpose of this Sabbath was that they would rest and they would remember that God has given them rest from their slavery, not by their own efforts and hard work, but because of his mercy and love. So one day a week, the Israelites would stop working and they would remember that God had delivered them from the harsh and horrible work of slavery into the freedom that comes from him. And it wasn't because of their efforts, it was because of his love. And the resting, the the stopping from work, was a physical reminder 
of who sustains them. It is not their work, it is not their efforts, it is their God. And like in creation, when God rested on the seventh day, they were to look at God's work as God did on the seventh day. He he looked at his creation and said it was very good. And God's people were to stop, look at what God has done, and acknowledge and remember that it is a very good work that God has done. And we look and we remember that we rest in Christ. That was the, the purpose of the Sabbath. And so it was a tragedy that a time to rest and remember becomes a time of such hard work. Now, the Old Testament law does not give very much legislation on how to keep the Sabbath. The only things the Old Testament says really was, don't work, which means how you make a living. So don't continue your employment on the Sabbath day. You need to stop work and have a day off. Uh, That was why, uh, partly, they weren't allowed in the law to kindle a fire, because kindling a fire usually was the work of the the wife at home who was making food. That was her her job. So don't kindle a fire if that's work. And later on in Jeremiah and in Nehemiah, Israel, when it was a more commercial society, were forbidden to carry goods to sell on the Sabbath. But other than that... The Old Testament doesn't contain any other legislation. And the Pharisees were not happy about this. The religious leaders at the time, they thought, well, the law isn't clear enough, and so we need to build some fences around the law, and if therefore you don't overstep the fence, you're definitely not going to break the law. And so the Pharisees came up with 39 different ways that could constitute work. If you did any of these 39 Uh, uh, things, you would be breaking the Sabbath law. That's what the Pharisees uh, said. And these rules about getting rest for our souls were a burden upon the people. And the religious leaders were controlling people's lives. And so Jesus gets under their skin when he declares in verse 8 that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's, uh, with that background in mind, uh, come now to uh, verse 1 of chapter 12 and see what's going on in this uh, confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some ears of corn and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, Your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus 
they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. This is God's word. And we begin with those three words at the beginning of verse 12, at that time, which was the time where Jesus was offering rest to the Sabbath. We come from the time where he's offering rest to the Sabbath. And uh, I don't think there's any coincidence that after Jesus offers rest, we come to the Sabbath day, which was supposed to be uh, a day of rest. And in this conflict with the Pharisees, if you uh, picture it as a, as a boxing match, uh, there are two rounds which go on here. Uh, the first round is in verses 1 to 8 uh, in the fields, and then they go for round 2 in verses 9 to 14 in the synagogue. And in the first uh, round of this conflict, about the Sabbath, Jesus shows that he has authority over the Sabbath. Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. Now, whether it's the Sabbath day or not, uh, you still get hungry. Uh, We know that's true. Uh, We don't spend our whole weekends not eating, do we? We don't find that restful. Uh, We find that probably anything but restful. And so Jesus and his disciples were hungry, and they were going through uh, fields picking heads of grain. Uh, they, this wasn't a meal, necessarily. Uh, they were, you can just imagine it, can't you? Going through the cornfields, picking the heads of grain, rubbing the, the husks off, and eating uh, the, the grain. And the Pharisees, who obviously uh, were watching out for what Jesus was doing, they, they see what they are doing, and they make an accusation against the disciples of Jesus in verse 2. They say, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And that word lawful or unlawful uh, is a key word in this section. You'll notice it four times uh, throughout this passage where they're they're trying to uh, accuse Jesus of breaking the law on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees accused the disciples of breaking the Sabbath law. Uh, Was it true? Were Were the disciples breaking the Sabbath law? Well, was picking heads of grain working? Perhaps if they were farmers, perhaps, but they were not farmers. This wasn't their regular work. They weren't employed going through fields, picking heads of grain. They were merely hungry and they were eating as they went. But they did break some of the Pharisees' 39 laws. They didn't break the Old Testament law, but they did break some of the 39 laws, which included reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. So as far as the Pharisees were concerned, as they plucked the grain, they were reaping. As they rubbed it together to separate the husk, they were threshing. As they blew away the husk, they were winnowing. And altogether, this was preparing food for them to eat. This should all be done before the Sabbath, not on the Sabbath day. And so the disciples, although they weren't breaking any Old Testament law, were breaking 
through some of those Pharisee fences which they had put in place. And so the question that really is being asked here, uh, by Matthew at least, is this. Do the Pharisees have authority to tell God's people what rest is? Do the Pharisees have authority to tell God's people what rest is? Or the wider question is this. Can man-made rules bring rest? Man-made rules are very tiring, aren't they? Some, uh, as, as a summary of all the religions of this world, you could argue that apart from biblical Christianity, which is what we believe, that the, a summary line for all of those religions is do, do, do. Do this, do that, and you'll be right with God. But even as Christians... Although we would never profess that we believe that, of course, we believe that Jesus has done all the work of our salvation. We can, even as Christians, put rules in place that are not in the Bible to make us feel better about ourselves and to judge others and to look good. Rather than training us for godliness, these rules can just puff ourselves up. So, for example, we can have rules about what we do on Sundays, what we're allowed to do or not allowed to do. We can have rules about what we wear to church. We can have rules around how long our prayers should be or Bible readings. We can have rules on what version of the Bible is the right version or how we use, uh, whether we should drink alcohol or not drink alcohol. We can have all sorts of rules in place that we follow And there's nothing necessarily wrong in the rules themselves, but we follow them so that we can either look good, we can feel like we're earning points with God, or we can point the finger at others and say, well, you are not as holy as me because you're not following my rules. And we can, there's a danger in that, even as Christians. Now, it's fine and it's good to follow disciplines that help us to be godly, but they don't save us. They can't be used as a measure for how holy someone else is. And it's when they are used to try and earn favour with God and judge others that they just become tiring as we try and keep up with our rules. Now there are commands that Christ gives us to follow. But they're for our joy and for our good. We looked last week that they are an easy yoke that fits us and helps us to thrive But even those commands of themselves do not save us. The work of salvation, that we are right with God, is done by Jesus on the cross and as he rises from the dead. So how does Jesus then respond to this challenge that rules that we can put in place are the way to rest? Well, Jesus goes back to the Bible to the scriptures that these Pharisees know very well indeed. Notice how Jesus says twice in verse 3 and verse 5, the words, haven't you read? He's not asking the Pharisees a question as if neither they or neither him or the Pharisees know the answer. He's not saying, uh, uh, wondering if they have. He's jesting. He knows full well that they have read it. They know full well that they know the scriptures he's referring to. And Jesus uses a scripture to give two examples of authority over the Sabbath. 
And the first is found in verses 3 and 4. He says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. King David, uh, if you were to ask a Jewish Pharisee who uh, their heroes are, David would be right up there at the top. Uh, one of, one of the, the greatest heroes of the Bible. And the incident Jesus refers to here is in 1 Samuel chapter 21, where David uh, is anointed as king, but yet not yet on the throne, because Saul is on the throne, and David is running away from Saul, who is trying to kill him. And David and his men needed some food, but the only bread available where they were, where they were at the temple was the consecrated bread. And the Old Testament law said that only the priests were allowed to eat the consecrated bread. Well, David was hungry with his companions, and so they all ate this consecrated bread that the law said they were not allowed to eat. The hero of these Pharisees, King David, was someone who, because of human need, broke the letter of the law. Well, what's the implications of what Jesus is saying here? On the one hand, Jesus is saying that there are incidents where the letter of the law is put aside. But the bigger point is that God's anointed David did this with God's law, so I, as God's anointed, can also do this with God's law. Jesus is comparing himself to King David. That's what he's doing here. He's comparing himself to King David. If David has authority over God's law, I can have authority over God's law. And then in verse 5, we see another example of authority over, this time, the Sabbath itself. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet are innocent. So the the, the Sabbath was a day of rest and they had to stop working, but the priests, they worked on the Sabbath. And in fact, on the Sabbath day, the priests, they had to offer double sacrifices. So in fact, on the Sabbath, the priests, you could argue, worked twice as hard as the other days of the week. And Jesus says that the priests, they desecrate the Sabbath. What he's saying there is, they work on the Sabbath. By the letter of the law, the priests are doing what is unlawful. But in the law, the work of the temple is of a higher priority than the Sabbath regulations. And so the priests, therefore, are innocent of breaking the Sabbath law. That's the the logic that Jesus is saying. Temple law trumps, temple work trumps Sabbath law. The priests are working in the temple so they are not guilty of breaking the Sabbath law. Now, the Pharisees would agree with this. They would agree that the temple law does trump the Sabbath law. They would agree that the priests were not desecrating the Sabbath, but they would not agree with the conclusion Jesus comes to in verse 6. Look at what Jesus says. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Do you see where Jesus' reasoning is going? The temple regulation trumps the Sabbath regulation. 
I am greater than the temple, so I can trump all the Sabbath regulations. The point is, he has authority. He is greater than David. He is greater even than the temple. And later on in Matthew 12, we read he's greater than Jonah, and he's greater than Solomon. Jesus isn't setting aside the Sabbath law and saying it doesn't matter anymore. Rather, Jesus is saying that he has authority over what the Sabbath law means. The Pharisees' man-made laws do not have authority. Jesus does. And speaking with authority, Jesus shows in verses 7 and 8 what the Sabbath is all about. Look at those verses. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Pharisees had spent their rest day accusing the disciples of breaking the Sabbath. But there's no rest in being hungry. The disciples were hungry. The Pharisees had it all wrong. Jesus quotes one of his favorite Old Testament verses. Uh, His favorite because he's used it before, even in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 13. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. These disciples were hungry. And so Jesus is saying God is much more interested in the mercy of allowing rest for others than in sacrifices that end up preventing rest. He is far more interested in, the, in allowing rest for others than in sacrifices that end up preventing it. And the disciples were hungry, so they ate so that they could rest. And Jesus, as Lord of the Sabbath, allowed them to do that. And the key verse of the authority of Jesus over the Sabbath is there in verse 8. For, that means I can say these things because the Son of Man, a name for Jesus, is Lord or is the master of the Sabbath itself. The disciples are innocent. They are innocent and they can eat grain because like David's men and like the priests, they are under the authority of the God who is Lord of the Sabbath. And it's with that authority that Jesus smashes the man-made rules of the Pharisees that weary and burden. In the lead-up to this passage in, in chapter, at the end of chapter 11, Jesus gives us this illustration of the yoke, doesn't he? Put my yoke upon you, he says. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you remember when it says that the yoke is easy, it doesn't mean that there's no, uh, that there's no work involved in, in, in being a Christian. He says, take up a, the yoke, but it, easy means it's comfortable. It fits. It's, it's made to measure. Man-made rules are not made to measure. Work, working to earn favour with God is hard work. It is not rest. But when we come under the authority of Jesus and we submit to his authority, we find true rest for our souls. We can spend our whole lives on on, on a treadmill that never ends, the treadmill of trying to find satisfaction and, and peace and rest, but that treadmill just has no off button. It just never, ever ends. You're constantly on it and it is tiring. 
But when we come to Jesus, we find true rest for our souls. And the rest that Jesus provides isn't a bunch of rules that are are really hard for us to follow. The rest of Jesus is to follow him. And following him is what we were made for. And that's why it's true, true rest. So what are you submitting to to get rest for your souls? Is it, is it what you do? Because no amount of work will give you what you desire. You have no authority and no ability to get rest for your souls. Rules-based religion is restless and futile. The Pharisees in this passage misunderstood the Sabbath. But more important than that, they misunderstood Jesus himself, didn't they? They misunderstood who he is. The world is is constantly giving us options for rest. The world will say things like, be who you want to be, or live how you want to live. That's what our, our culture is saying these days. You can choose your gender, you can, all these kind of things that we hear. But in those things, there is no rest. It is wearying, it is tiresome. But when we understand who Jesus is and we come to him, there is rest for our souls. That's what the Pharisees totally misunderstood. May we not misunderstand that lesson. Well, Jesus, we've seen then, first of all, has authority over the Sabbath. But in round two of this conflict in verses 9 to 14, Jesus shows us how he uses his authority. And in what sounds like a kind of circular um, kind of argument here, uh, what we see is that Jesus' authority brings Sabbath rest. In verses 9 to 14, Jesus shows his authority by bringing physical rest that so far he's talked about verbally. The Pharisees are still following Jesus around. They've gone from the field and they've followed him all the way into their synagogue. And they have sinister intentions. Look at verse 10. It says they were looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. And there was a man in the synagogue with a shriveled hand. And rather than having mercy upon that man, which is what Jesus has just told them that God desires, they saw in the man with the shriveled hand an opportunity to catch Jesus out. I mean, just think about that for a moment. It's horrible, isn't it? They saw this man... And they wanted to use him to catch Jesus out. There was no concern about his state. No concern to bring rest to this man and help him in any way. They wanted to catch Jesus out. And so they asked Jesus a question again. Notice the words of lawful there. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath at the end of verse 10? Well, according to their law, which was uh, quite ridiculous actually, the, the answer was no, You cannot heal on the Sabbath except for two reasons. First reason, death is imminent. So if you're you're dying, you can heal. Or, secondly, if you're in labour. Because even the Pharisees realised you can't hold it in. So there was two reasons. Okay? Death or labour. The man wasn't in labour, obviously. And death wasn't imminent. He could have waited until the next day in order to have his shriveled hand healed. But the Old Testament law says nothing about healing on the Sabbath. And so Jesus responds 
in a way that shows both their folly and of their, the folly of their rules and the cruelty of them. Look at verses 11 and 12. He said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees' law did not say that you were not allowed to lift a sheep out of a pit. So, uh, in, in fact, in the illustration he gives, the, the indication there is that there is a sheep, that is one sheep. So this would have been a very valuable sheep. So the, the, the sheep was valuable to this person, and if the, the, the one sheep that they had was in a pit and they left it, the sheep might die. Of course, they were allowed to lift the sheep out of the pit. The Pharisees would agree, of course, you can lift the sheep out. And they also would have to agree with the next part of Jesus' argument. Well, aren't people of more value than sheep? Yes, people are far more valuable than a sheep. If you've got, your, I mean, if you've got a person or a sheep in a pit, you're going to go for the person, right? And Jesus concludes with, therefore... Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Because you can help a sheep, and because people are more valuable than sheep, it is lawful to heal on the Sabbath, because that's a good thing. And to illustrate what he's saying, Jesus does good on the Sabbath. He brings rest to the man with the shriveled hand as he holds it out to Jesus in faith. And just notice with me in, uh, how what, the man, uh, what happens to this man uh, fulfills really what Jesus is saying in chapter 11, verse, verse 28. Jesus says in chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me. And here we see him say, Stretch out your hand. All who are weary and burdened, that includes those with shriveled hands, and I will give you rest. And there Jesus restores the hand as whole as the other. As the man comes to Jesus with his shriveled hand, Jesus restores him, restores the hand so it is as whole as the other. He brings this man rest. And it's rest for this man because with that shriveled hand, his life would have been so difficult. No, he wouldn't be able to work and all those kind of things. The Sabbath was not supposed to bring hardship. God's Sabbath was to bring rest And the Sabbath of the Old Testament, where the Israelites were resting to remember their freedom from slavery, points forward to the rest that is only found now in Jesus Christ. Rather than shriveled hands, the Pharisees had shriveled hearts. And the challenge for them was to stop resting in their rules that caused them uh, to treat people in this way and to rest in Jesus. Well, of course, the Pharisees never responded in the right way. In verse 14, they they wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus had won these two conflicts easily. He had shown up the Pharisees for the, the fools that they were. And rather than respond as they ought, which was, come to me, they wanted to kill our Savior. Well, as we look at this, and we think about how we find rest for our souls again, our response shouldn't be to want to get rid of Jesus, it should be to come to Jesus. And as we rest in him and we take his yoke on us, one of the ways that we do this is to provide rest for others. 
just as Jesus does here. One of the ways that we rest in Jesus and take our yoke, or take his yoke upon us, is to show his rest by providing rest for other people. We do good to others as we provide rest for them in the way that we speak, pointing them to the rest that's found in Christ, and in the way that we act towards one another, as we pray for one another and encourage one another and help one another, bringing rest to one another as believers. The Sabbath day was all about loving God and loving each other. And so let us do the same. In Romans uh, chapter 13, Paul uh, writes this about the Old Testament law. Let no no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. This passage is not about how we spend our Sundays. Rather, this passage is about how Jesus has authority every day to provide rest. And Jesus has done this by freeing us from the sin that enslaves us and causes such weariness and burdens and has given us new life in Christ where we're free with his yoke to love God and love each other. The Jewish day of rest was uh, the Saturday. That was their, their, the Sabbath day. And as we think about that, we think we can look at Jesus and how he provides ultimate rest for our souls. Jesus died on a Friday, didn't he? On Good Friday. He died on the cross to pay for our sin. The work of salvation is done on that Friday as he cries out, it is finished. And on the Sabbath day, Jesus was resting, he was in the tomb. And he rises again on the Sunday, the first day of the week. He rises again to a new rest, which is not based on keeping rules, but based on his mercy that comes through his sacrifice once and for all. And so for us as Christians, we don't live for for one particular day and have lots of rules. We rest every day. Because when Jesus rises again, it's a new week, a new life, every single day that we rest in Jesus. And so every day now, we can remember and celebrate like the Old Testament people did as they remembered the exodus from Egypt. We rest and we remember every day that Jesus has done all we need to provide rest for our souls. He has died for our sins and he's risen from the dead. And we can look forward every day to what his resurrection is a foretaste of. What one uh, 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 Puritan uh, wrote uh, about heaven, he called it the saint's everlasting rest. The saint's everlasting rest. So we look back to how Christ provided rest, we look forward to the rest that we have in the future, and we rest in that every day as we follow Jesus by loving each other and providing rest for one another and fulfilling the law uh, of love.
Well, let's pray uh, and let's ask God uh, to help us to do these things. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that we can rest in what Christ has done. We thank you that he has died and risen from the dead. We thank you that we don't have to earn our salvation, but it is a free gift because of what Christ has done. And so help us now to live every day in the light of what Christ has done and to love one another. We thank you that there is no other way of saving ourselves. It is only through Jesus, and we thank you that he has done it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close and respond in song, we're going to stand and sing who... O Lord, could save themselves, their own soul could heal. Well, no one can do that. We come to Jesus, who alone can rescue. So let's stand as we sing together.